I think that's also something interesting where to find the balance. Yeah, because I think it's very obvious when you have character designs that just like scream main character. And I feel like you probably saw that in games a lot in the 90s and early 2000s, just being like, this character looks like a badass and they have colored hair and one golden eye and a prosthetic and a million other things that make them stand out. And I think that was actually one reason why Half-Life was remarkable, the first one, when it came out, to just be like, hey, your main character, Gordon Freeman, is a total nerd, and he just looks like a bunch of nerds, you know? (laughs) He is physically unremarkable, but it's still a very iconic character design, despite that. And so I think finding that balance is such a fun challenge. Welcome to Worldcasting, where we discuss real made-up things. I'm your host, Inky, and today we'll be discussing ways to how you can create your very own interesting characters that reflect themselves and the world they're living in. Joining me today are Lizzie, Devin, and none other than Claire Hamill, the artist behind historically accurate Disney princes, who also worked um, for titles like How to Dra- uh, Train Your Dragon, Bioshock Infinite, and The Valley of the Gods. Let's all introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Devin. I'm a permanent DM and a full-time math student. I'm also an aspiring writer, and it's great to be here. Nice. I'm Lizzie. Um, I'm a a layout designer and moderator for World Building Magazine, uh, and I'm also a tabletop gamer. So I also play games and I create characters to play as... And hi, I'm Claire Hummel. Uh, I'm a concept artist and art director in video games, and I've been in it for over a decade now, which is a little terrifying to say. Um, I've worked at Xbox, um, Irrational, HBO, Interactive, and I'm currently at Valve, and I most recently shipped uh, Half-Life Alex. If you have VR, you should check it out. I know not many people do. (laughs) Well, yeah, happy to have you all here. Yeah, um, maybe to delve into the topic a bit, what is the character design that struck out to you just from anything that you know of random? Oh, man. So many. (laughs) Um, I know that, I mean, literally any of the character designs in Prince of Egypt, um, but specifically the queen mother in Prince of Egypt is one that has really stuck with me. It's in a really appealing design with some amazing shape language. And I think every single ancient Egyptian woman I've drawn in my life has always pointed back to that design uh, since it's so striking. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, if I had to pick one from like my recent reading, I would say uh, I've been reading through the Stormlight Archive and one of the main protagonists... Uh, has really resonated with me um, in terms of mental health and his struggles with that. And as someone who's struggled with that in the past, I really love seeing the representation of these less-than-perfect characters and how they have to deal with sometimes awful situations and what that does to a person. Oh, absolutely. 
when I think of character designs that stand out to me, um, actually one thing I think about is uh, the the world of historical fiction movies and costume dramas and how sometimes um, uh, mm. that type of character design can uh, deviate from what is set up as the norm in that portrayal of that type of society. And I think about how those differences add up to really show, you know, show the character. I think uh, I obviously am a huge fan yeah. of historical fashion, surprising no one. Um, but I do love like when you have to design within right. established parameters and how you can work within those rule sets and how you can break them. Um, I think one of my favorite examples of that recently is the Gentleman Jack TV show, which is set in the 1830s. Oh, yeah. Which is like yes, yes, yes. a fantastic time period with insane costuming and some just like really striking examples of it. And the fact that the main character herself gets to push against that and have more masculine, more 1820s tailored silhouettes and how they play with that is just, oh, it's remarkable. I love it. Was something quite um, because I rewatched it quite recently. Um, something oh, nice. that uh, um, also uh, gentleman Jack, but um, I recently rewatched uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, and something that I I um, I mean oh, back then was my favorite movie anyway. Um, but what stuck out to me um, this time was uh, that. Will Turner, um, how he actually develops in the end, and in the end, then he's basically this not really pirate, but more like a musketeer. Um, um, <laughs> well, the movies oh, are wow. kind of set in like, <laughs> like what would be late for a musketeer timeline, right? But musketeer is the exact yeah. sorry, you said pirates, yeah, so I'm here. Um, <laughs> it's about the same timeline because this is the end of the golden age of piracy in the early 1700s yeah but it was like oh yeah this this looks kind of more dashing than the rest yeah. of them. <laughs> it was kind of unexpected um yeah i mean this isn't necessarily the most striking character design i have seen by far not, but it's just uh, something where I noticed again, it's like trying to tie in the character development. Well, there's a there's a type of character design and it, it kind of ties into costume design where you take a, a setting, you take a world and you create a costume that is a mix of places so much so that you tell a story about where that character has been. And you tell a story about um, what the character, uh, what they treasure, right? So, you know, if someone carries this type of sash that might be a, a deviation from a norm that's set up, or if they um, are dressed in a fashion that is maybe outside um, from the time period or from the location, that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Deviation from the norm is such an interesting way to define characters visually and from a personality standpoint and all of that. Um, and I think it can be done in really subtle, interesting ways because of, obviously as an artist, it's when I think about 
my favorite character designs, what immediately comes to mind are often very flashy, exciting things. Oh, yeah. um, but some of the best character design work I've seen is so subtle. Like the uh, the Born Identity movies have some amazing character design and costume design in them. The Last of Us, like designing characters within the modern world where you have to, you know, everybody speaks the language of modern costuming and just what people look like much better than they would historical or fantasy or sci-fi. And you can make the most subtle changes to how a character carries themselves or how they act or how their clothes are dirty. And it can make a huge difference. It's really remarkable. And having a character with clean clothes means something in a world where no one else does. Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We're also kind of leading into the next section basically um this is some point um knowing your medium you're working in um but also the story you want to tell and um basically also what audience you're telling to this because one thing i noticed is that um i think the first time i noticed this was um when I delve more into a theater and um, when compared it to movie costumes, uh, more, yeah, well, that's more costuming. And then also, like, um, if you're designing for a game, you also have different things in mind than if you're developing characters, for example, for a webcomic or something like that. Um, Oh, well, in a novel, you also usually don't really have the visual um, shape language in that sense, and you have to describe every character. So um, you always have to deal with different things. And um, yeah, I wanted to um, talk a bit more about that because, um, I mean, for example, I mean, Claire, you're working mostly in gaming uh what's your (laughs) experience or how you're working with it um compared to maybe to what you think about shows movies yeah i i feel like it's very interesting i i was graduating college and because my dad had worked in animation i was like oh of course i'm gonna work in animation without goes without saying and now i've been in games for however many years. Um, And it is interesting how (laughs) character design changes based on that final product. And I think that's something to keep in mind too for young artists who are building portfolios is that designs that work in comics don't necessarily work in television or movies, live action, animation, games, etc. Because like games, one of the biggest things is no matter the game you're playing, you are always serving the gameplay like it is meant to be an interactive experience whether that is walking around a forest or if you are fighting and if it's third person first person so all of your design decisions eventually have to be sort of filtered through that lens of how is this going to look when someone is controlling a player what angle am i going to see them from how how is the clothing going to intersect with itself if the character's moving a lot <laughs> Um, because I definitely love drawing characters with really 
long flowy fabric and inevitably it gets cut and turned into pants or something at some <laughs> point in the pipeline. Um, well, yeah, and you said you've been doing this for 10 years, so you've probably even seen the growth of technology yeah. kind of enhancing your abilities as you yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it depends project to project and you just see the, you know, it's just slowly getting better and better. Um, and the priorities of the industry still don't totally prioritize like fabric, but um, from like a character building standpoint in terms of face and skin shaders and hair and all of that has just come such a long way. So things that would have been limitations back in 2008 are no longer a problem now, which is pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to know how to make an iconic design, but that works for the stage that works for live action or comics. And I will say that's one thing I'm usually kind of jealous of just because working through words on a page instead of pictures or this artistic representations, it always makes me wish that I could devote more detail to those small things that usually would go unnoticed on the screen or in a game. But it's those small details that can really breathe life into yeah, it. Yeah, but it wouldn't quite make sense to bring it up in a novel. <laughs> But you, exactly. but you know you have it in the back of your head, just like, oh, if only they knew what the lining of this coat looked like. <laughs> exactly. I have no way to bring it up. Unless you have your character specifically, like, fiddling with something. Unless there is, like, a direct action that can be narrated. Yeah. Or, um, like, a, a the character reflects on a, maybe a change in in their appearance or a change in the environment and how that affects their appearance. Um, sometimes just sitting in a space when you're writing and describing exactly what it is doesn't really lead to anywhere and can get, you know, can get a little bit boring. I'd be curious to hear from a writing standpoint how much you choose to describe characters versus letting your letting your reader sort of fill in the blanks because I'm always, it's always interesting to see what I picture in my head when I'm reading novels versus what's actually given to me on the page. Oh yeah. That's always one of my favorite things, things is seeing the official artwork when it comes <laughs> out and it's like, wow, that's completely <laughs> different than anything I could have thought of, but okay, I guess that's it now. Uh, but no, like when I'm writing or when I'm de designing a character, I'll usually have like a default outfit that I can imagine them in in most settings. And it it kind of just represents who their character is, whether it's a nice dress or worksman's clothes, like something uh, more economical for being about in town or whether they're dressing up to look pretty. And I like to think that even if I don't get to describe that in as much detail, that the personality and kind of the effects that it has on the people around them will kind of shine through and give at least a general concept of how they might dress. Like a neutral outfit. I kind of like a cartoon character in a way. Like, you know, you just wear the... Yeah, the default skin. Default, yes. Unless there's a notation, that's, <laughs> that's, a good yeah. Word, yeah. that's where we're at. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and I'm kind of struggling. Uh, I mean, I'm working on a comic, so um, I always do the illustrations that are quite elaborate. And it's like, no, no, you won't 
draw it in every panel like that <laughs> kind of an issue uh, because I love the more detail or pseudo details um, but yeah um, it's all different and it's, it's really interesting um, also um, I think what I also noticed is um, the difference in what story you want to tell in the different media um, because for example um, just to take gaming now um, it's a different thing if I have um, some sort of uh, quick action uh, game or if I want to solve riddles and maybe a murder mystery and according to that I would imagine at least uh, that the character designs also will differ because uh, um, if you just have to battle your way through um, you probably know how the um, yeah basic enemy looks like, and then you have the if you have to um, solve riddles, you probably also will uh, want your player to um, have some sort of red herrings or so. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is that something that um, is considered in gaming or? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. Um, so much of games is trying to figure out how much you can communicate about a character and how much real estate you have to communi communicate about that character. Um, it's always interesting if it's a first-person game where all you see are the hands and trying to figure out how much of a story you can tell with just and hands. A lot. Um, and, and a lot of that comes yes. into the animation and acting as well. I... I joined Campo Santo after Firewatch, but I joined Campo largely because I loved Firewatch. And I think Henry's hands and how they're animated in that game just tell you so much about the character and his emotional journey in that game. And you have so little to work with, um, but it's amazing how much you can do. It's kind of cool how when you're limited like that, you have to find neat workarounds to communicate your ideas anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is still about telling the story. I feel like that is the biggest thing for people to understand about about narrative design, about character design, concept art, all of that is like, oh, you were just trying to tell a story with whatever that medium is, whether it is drawing characters, designing a world, every aspect of it is just like, how do I communicate as much as possible to the audience without them necessarily knowing that I'm doing it? Yeah, and it always is like unstated, but it has to be there anyway, and you hope someone gets it, right? <laughs> yeah. And that maybe they'll connect it to something else they see. Maybe you're creating a piece of a pattern as well. Mm -hmm. I also, um, I mean, for writing, um, I'd also be interested in, like, uh, how you're doing it with, uh, or, well, with writing, you usually have those um, probably also very few, very characteristic um, items, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I know what and I mean, mean, also with um, a lot of in animation and um, also in gaming, um, you also always uh, hear the um, 
unique silhouette. So uh, you also have a, usually it comes from some sort of striking item that the person wears, but also uh, like the physique. And um, yeah, I'd be kind of interested um, how much um, people delve into this um, and is it um, how much necessary it is or sometimes how subtle it actually can be. I definitely think it's a thing where, again, it might, it might not be something that players or re- readers or audiences realize that they're looking for those differentiations, um, but it's so nice when they're there. Because I think as an artist, there's mm-hmm. definitely a tendency to just have a default that you tend to draw, where it's like, oh, this is the default shape of person and face that I draw, and I have to kind of push myself to do anything other than this. And it can be harder to really attach to characters and get to know them and differentiate between them when everybody looks the exact same from an artistic perspective. Um and so I think it's really important to to think about. And obviously in games, there there's often a gameplay element of that. Uh, I think Team Fortress 2 is always brought up as a really good example of character silhouette where you can immediately pick out all of the different classes from a pretty far distance away. And that makes sense for a game, a competitive game, where you have to constantly identify people on the horizon even if you're making a walking simulator or something, it's still still a good idea. Yeah, and I think, because you said Fortnite, and I think fighting games rely on that a lot more than mm-hmm. others might. Because in something like Bioshock or Half-Life, you have a main character, and then you kind of just have everything else. Yeah. And it's easy to have the default just fall into the background, and if you need to draw some extra NPCs, you can. Yeah, like all of the all of the NPCs in City 17 and Half-Life 2 are just like, no, they're all pretty interchangeable because they are meant to be background noise. And then the moment right. you have like Combine Soldiers, it's like, oh, they have to have different shapes. You have to be able to pick them out because they are important. Right, and then if we look at fighting games like Fortnite or even Super Smash Brothers, like Absolutely. they're all very unique to the point where if you see even a shadow, you're like, I can probably <laughs> tell who that is and what's about to happen. Yeah, they're also, although this isn't limited to um, exaggeration and cartooning, they're also more of a cartoon feel than than realism when it comes down to it. Yeah, I feel like it's. Uh, I'm very impressed when I see really varied silhouette in photorealistic work or live action film because it's so much yes. harder agreed um i will always cite aiko ishioka's uh costume design work in the fall it's just really striking absolutely weird costumes on actual people and it's amazing seeing how much she can push that stuff without actually having like stylized characters I just want to be 100% sure that's the 2006 film. Yes, that sounds right. I'm going to look. <laughs> the, the Red Mask yes, film? Yes, the Red Mask <laughs> yes. film. There um, we go. Yeah. Just for our friends at home who might not recognize that obscure reference on yeah. the top of their head. It's like if no, you're a costume I, nerd, you'll recognize yes. it, but most everyone yeah. else won't. Yeah. And if not, you should go Google it. Yeah. It's really fun. Remember that one being 
basically, you know, in Technicolor, full Technicolor, with all different cuts of costume and all different, you know, sizes and shapes of people and what they're carrying. So, yeah, that's some that's a some good fantasy right there. (laughs) Yeah. And then Inky, I know you were also asking about how one might do that in writing, and Mm. I think. I would rely a lot more on dialogue. Like, I'll usually have a defining physical trait, just some way that a character could be recognized. But in order to avoid relying on that too much, I usually just go for differences in how they communicate, uh, because that just seems more easy to me in terms of writing it differently. Uh, Although I do have a tendency to use words that are just too large sometimes and I go for the obscure vocabulary a little bit too much so I do have to tone that down for some characters well that's a tradition and if you're writing fantasy in fantasy writing I know you want all the the accompanying thesaurus yes Um, to pick up like the RPG side if I'm designing a character to play as in a game um, one of the things I focus on is uh, their process of decision making and oh, cool. a very, very big because um, basically I'm deciding on a narrating action when I role play, right? I'm I'm deciding, okay, this is new information. I'm I'm acting as the character. So um, being able to narrate actions uh, and how the character reacts to different circumstances is kind of the basis for that. So one of the things I would do if I were if I were making character, um, I personally go from like a a conceptual point towards the more detailed aspects of it. So I'll start with a concept like this character is is obstinate. This character is um, very concentrated on one goal and everything else is, is secondary or something. And from there, I'll kind of make the rest of the decisions about like what they look like. Um, if they are from the area where they currently are, or if they aren't, and that's a bit separate from say, doing a full background. I want to like like we said before, I want what they are today, what the character looks like when you see them or when you describe them to tell the story of where they've been. I love that. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that we can probably take for granted, but it's a lot harder to do than it seems like it should be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, for me, it is oftentimes that it's more like, I, I mean, visually it's often that I tend to have maybe two or three iterations and then I'm kind of there if I'm going for the physical, well, pure physique, um, nothing like clothing or something like that, just pure physique. Uh, But like for character traits and stuff like it's often like I get to know the character like how you get to know people if that makes sense so Mm -hmm. it's like um yeah you maybe you pick something up like oh they like tea instead of coffee or they read newspapers every morning or something like that because you 
kind of notice it, but you don't necessarily need to know that their fifth grandfather on the mother's side is, I don't know, uh, who was um, Smith or something like that. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Um, I think that sometimes also helps to, uh, I don't know, to, to, at least for writing characters, to get them more uh, organically, at least to me sometimes. <laughs> Um, so two things. One, I I definitely for doing that suggest finding any number of like uh, character character questionnaires. You don't have to fill it out item by item, but it gives you an idea of what what things to what things to look for, what what questions to ask when making a character, right? Yeah, and it tells you what's important. Exactly. And um, it also gives you more points of, of deviation from yourself, right? It makes sure that you're creating a variety that isn't just um, every character being a reflection of you. And I think that's something that can be very important. I feel like I'm especially terrible about that in tabletop games. <laughs> just like, I'm going to play <laughs> me. It's a rogue that looks like me. <laughs> looks and acts like me, or they look different, but they're... And they're me. cool. <laughs> me, but if I was cool, is really <laughs> the definition of so many of my characters. And there's nothing wrong with that one. <laughs> Sometimes we all just want to feel a little cooler about ourselves. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> 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 but that kind of separation can help um, prevent like emotional bleed if you're if you're doing any kind of intense role playing or I guess acting since it's it can be similar acting role playing without dice. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, because I've been in a few theatrical shows, too, and even then, one of the mm -hmm. first things that my directors, at least, have had me do is answer a questionnaire about the character you're playing, because you need to know what's motivating you. Yeah, that's really valuable. Um, also, um, well, I forgot talking about... Um, characters usually we also want to create them for an audience so um if we go for an adult audience we probably would design different characters than for example for um for crass <laughs> example toddlers or um middle schoolers or um elementary school age and um yeah I mean, I think um, a lot of times it also comes down to readability and complexity in character designs oftentimes. Like, um, for example, for um, smaller children, they need to pick up concepts much easier or quicker than, for example, if they have an adult um, who wants to indulge in, I don't know, crime story or something like that and actually spends a lot of mm -hmm. time with those characters and the toddler probably would only have like 5 to 15 min minutes or something like that so 
it's a completely different time span and um, also different yeah, concepts you probably need to evoke. So I'd be interested how you would do that, um, how you cater to different, um, for example, ages or uh, also genres, um, because there's also different expectations and also how can you subvert it without undermining your character design um, because you still want it to work. I, I feel like this is uh, related to a conversation about genre and tropes. Um, but yeah, but demographics for games and other sorts of medias. Ooh, it's very important. Yeah, I would say I'm kind of lucky because I'm self-publishing a book, so I get to kind of write for myself and hope that other people like it. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. whereas other people are not quite as free in their ability. Well, I mean, technically, in as if you're writing um, an RPG or a campaign for an RPG or something, I guess your audience would be uh, your players, but... There's mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of um, a, a a good amount of overlap between that novel writing when it comes to when it comes to characters, not when it comes to method of storytelling. Yeah, I definitely feel like there are certain expectations when you are working with different audiences, um, and some of them are good expectations, and some of them are limiting. Uh, I think the point that was made earlier about just you know, when you were making media for kids, it's probably your character designs and your characters themselves might be like a little less complex and nuanced in ways that might not make sense to people who've only been on the earth for eight years or something. Um, <laughs> so that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, but it's interesting to see how far you can push it since kids definitely have pretty deep interests and are often consuming some amount of adult media that's not specifically aimed at their age group when they're pretty young. Um, but And also you just have the restrictions put on you in terms of content and what people think is appropriate for kids, which is a whole other can oh, yeah. to crack open. But <laughs> I, I think the main thing about, um, about designing characters or, or even just designing stories for kids is understanding um, the lack of context that adult audiences would theoretically have. I, I know we, I mentioned um, just like historical uh, stuff earlier, but I mean, kids, kids aren't really going to know, you know, why, why it's cool that a film noir uh, a main character wears uh, this kind of color instead of all black or something like that's not quite something to pick up on at the other side of it you know you do have lots of kids tv shows and movies really do, being a good deep dive into um, genres and tropes and even breaking down a lot of them yeah absolutely it is interesting to think about what can you you know is there added depth you know, can you have levels of depth that kids won't necessarily pick up on, but it doesn't matter if they don't pick up on it versus 
are you wasting time adding depth to this piece of children's media? <laughs> I think one of my the best example I could think of with the of for that would be uh, like the Pixar's movies in the early two thousands, like Shrek, where. Oh, DreamWorks. Well, Shrek is not Pixar, <laughs> no, but Whoops. Shrek was DreamWorks. <laughs> but uh, how we have all of this adult humor laid in, but it's played off in such a way that the kids won't notice it. It's there for the parents who have to take them to the movies. Yeah, yeah I did, there were a lot of layers of Shrek that I did not pick up on as a kid. I don't think any of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um... I mean, a lot of times uh, what I see is, um, especially, um, I don't know if kids' media was a good example, but um, a lot of times where I see um, very quick communication that needs to happen is in mascots uh, versus um your regular, more story-oriented um, character. And I think there is also, um, I think that is more of a scale to work on, like how much of a mascot is it going to be? Or is it more um, your super detailed, uh, every um, inch of their clothing and every lock of the hair um, has some sort of meaning and uh, super intricate um, things um, that you will learn over time. I think this is a better scale to work with um, in this instance. Uh, when you say a mascot, do you mean a character who's um, uh, maybe like a little bit more of a blank slate? for kids to relate to or a character that's like the main like the face of a of a show or movie i'm not necessarily um just oh, okay. um just movie or games or anything it's just like literally i don't know uh for example advertisements or something like that i mean that's still <laughs> character design technically um yeah it is <laughs> and um I don't know why, but I mean, I do know why. But um, something that came to my mind was Blue's Cues. Um, See, and I was just thinking about that. <laughs> um, well, everything is uh, very specific. Um, I mean, there it's like, okay, the one dog is blue, the other is pink. Um, I, I don't think I remember much more from this show because it's been very long <laughs> um <laughs> but um it's it's very simplistic and uh you know the bright blue um dog is the one with the clues and then you have steve in green uh who is a little dum-dum and <laughs> meets pointers everywhere and um uh, I mean, that's just very, very superficial and very stereotypic. And I mean, when I watched that, I we also had different shows uh, where you had way more complex uh, characters. But I mean, uh, from kids' media, uh, Pippi Longstocking is also super iconic. And I think she's 
also one of those characters uh, you could pick out anywhere and technically it's from a book so um but um but she's very striking because uh she has those red braids and mismatching socks and what have you and um the other kids are very normal um so i mean everything about pp is not normal basically because she's i don't know how old they are i think seven or eight um and she lives alone with um with a horse and a monkey so um yeah um but this is also something uh, i wanted to talk about it's like um grounding characters in their reality like how far can you push them to be super special um without um kind of ruining your basically world building you're doing around them because i think something that i admired about claire's work um is that you can or at least to me i think their characters always felt very grounded in their reality um oh thank you so um <laughs> i mean they they look striking but they still fit in and um if someone else would be a more of a focused character um they also would work more in the background but they're still striking enough and um yeah i think that's also something interesting where to find the balance yeah because i think it's very obvious when you have character designs that just like scream main character and i feel like you probably saw that in games a lot in the 90s and early 2000s of just being like this character looks like a badass and they have colored hair and one golden eye and a prosthetic and a million other things that make them stand out um and i think that was actually one reason why half-life was remarkable the first one when it came out to just be like hey your main character gordon freeman is a total nerd and he just looks like a bunch of nerds you know <laughs> he is physically unremarkable but it's still a very iconic character design despite that and so i think finding that balance is such a fun challenge like every day i go out into the world and i see a million amazing different faces and it's never it's never the typical just like hot hollywood face it's always seems so much more interesting to me to find that challenge and find something that's striking and interesting and iconic but doesn't feel like it's trying to be the most badass or obvious thing on screen at any given moment. I notice it a lot in animes, um, like where you have the, I don't know, the only character who is bright, red, pink, blonde, white, I don't know, hair, purple, blue <laughs> hair is the main character and everyone else is brown or uh, black haired and um, I don't uh, what was that around 2010, 2012, when a lot of the original characters on DeviantArt, everyone had heterochromia. Oh, heterochromia, yes. Oh, yeah, that was really um, popular. Yes. <laughs> 
I mean, it's calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> this definitely came out for me during my uh, Lion King fan art phase in late middle school and early high school, where it's just like all of my OCs, all of my lion OCs. And I'd be like, well, this one has a mane with braids and it has a scar over his eye and he has a pattern across his body and he's purple and he's pink. And it was just, (laughs) and I never did anything with these characters, which proves that they weren't really characters so much as they were just like aesthetic designs it didn't work within any context because the moment you try to tell a story with them you're like why is there a whole bunch of normal lions and then that one really weird looking lion yeah and i think that's an easy trap to kind of fall into because everyone wants their main character to be special and unique somehow yeah and it's so easy to just rely on well they're four feet taller than everyone else and they have pure white hair and their eyes glow so look at them and it's like there's a lot of simpler ways you can make them unique yeah this is a a big thing in in tabletop rpgs with people making a character who is um um i i like to call it points of deviation just from like some sort of standard they're like okay also they have purple hair also they have this also there's a tail (laughs) probably yes i just think about how so many of my favorite pieces of media the characters are remarkable just because they are who they are and it's not because they are badass and i think that's such an important thing to bring with you into writing characters because you know we all have a bunch of people in our lives that we care a lot about and they probably are interesting and very mundane everyday ways um yeah and i think we've even seen media kind of shift in that direction now yeah we aren't looking for the amazing superhero anymore even anime has shifted more towards how is this average person supposed to keep up with everyone else absolutely i love that kind of stuff i love the the mundanity of everyday life being compelling I mean, the reverse uh, sometimes is that the the protagonist uh, is the most unremarkable person ever and also looks that way and everyone else um, in the main cast is super special uh, rainbow-colored hair and everything. Several X's, rainbow-colored hair. Um... (laughs) A bit of a Scott Pilgrim situation. De- a devil, uh, devil wear, uh, bed wings, uh, what have you. Um, yeah, I think they're. Um, well, I like uh, character designs that are like, okay, here's a person. Uh, it's the main character because the story is interesting, but we also could shift to that character and they could easily fall into the background and they wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. So um, I think this is something maybe kind of extremer, but I think for me it works quite well. Um, And I mean, again, for, I mean, for games, you probably also have the, um, again, the, game mechanics to keep in mind and 
um, if you need to look, I don't know, half an hour for the next quest character in the crowd, it's going to be kind of annoying. So having some sort of specialty there, I think it doesn't hurt. But yeah, I think standing out differently is more interesting or it can be more nuanced. Also, we talked a little bit about it, but um, maybe we can delve deeper into it. Um, What actually entails character design? Sometimes you hear like shape language and um, costuming or clothing or stuff like that. But as a character designer, (laughs) what does belong uh, into this category, Claire? Um, yeah, at least from an artistic standpoint, as a as a concept artist and character designer, character design is just designing the physicality of the characters in your world, and it changes a bit from project to project or studio to studio. Um, sometimes you have a fully fleshed out idea of a character that you just need to come up with a physical representation of, um, but sometimes which is a process that I really love, you're involved earlier on in the process and character design also becomes character design in terms of personality, how they hold themselves, how they act. Um, Because I think it's so much more compelling to be able to design characters from the ground up with other teams, like talking with narrative and with gameplay and animation all simultaneously. Um, So yeah, at at its base level, it's figuring out what is what is their what does their body look like their face look like what are the expressions they make the costumes they wear and then beyond that it's kind of learning how to live in that character and act with them and make them feel compelling yeah and i think that applies in both forms of media written and visual uh i mean i don't have the artistic outlet where I get to try and work on the body language uh, like visually but that's still something that I love describing because everyone has their little tics that they'll do in conversation or when they're looking at something and I think those tiny little shifts can really tell you a lot more about a character especially because we we've we're kind of like bred to understand that on a subliminal level so it really speaks to us in a way that words can't absolutely if i'm if i'm role-playing a character if i'm writing a character um sometimes the the physical part of the character is is something that is um comes last or is an afterthought and sometimes that physical part can be like um, what is one piece that stands out? Like we were saying, um, if if we're taking some sort of generic and changing one thing, like what's one thing that this character definitely has that, that that's theirs that's uh, maybe symbolic of them in some way that's like their quote thing, right? Um, and that's a way of of kind of creating a symbol for them, which can be used later on, or creating something that has importance to them. I'm thinking about um, um, the uh, the coat in Dresden Files, 
or any number of his little things. Because uh, if I remember correctly, other than being described as tall <laughs> and kind of a, a quote generic guy, um, Dresden is kind of defined by his his abilities, of course, and by some of the the pieces of his life, the physical things mm-hmm. in his life. And that comes through. I do love that I the uh, the idea of really thinking about your character as a character first, and then bringing the physicality later. Um, because even in games, obviously, there is that sort of assumption if you're making a game about combat that you are going to tie certain body types to certain roles. And I think that just comes from you know years of people digging their heels in and drawing from the same in- imagery. And then, you know, you watch the Olympics or something and look at actual human bodies and you're like, oh, they can, strong people look a million different ways. And they don't always have to be like (laughs) big, top heavy white dudes. Um, And so I think it's (laughs) that, that one expose, the photo, the photos. Oh yeah. yeah, From like the nineties. Absolutely groundbreaking for characters. Yeah. It's God tier. Amazing. Um, And I always think it's just, it's interesting to think about characters like, think about dogs like i know a lot of big nice gentle giant dogs and then you meet big anxious dogs or big scary dogs or any number of things and none of it is tied necessarily to the physicality of that dog there are just so many varied personalities and humans are the exact same way and i think that ability to just like play with people's expectations to push against those stereotypes of what is expected, especially in video games. Um, it's just so much more fun. Why tie yourself down? Yeah, with all of the freedoms we have, it it would be silly to ignore the opportunities we have to flex, a, flex out of the bounds that we're in in real life. Also, uh, while we're at it <laughs> with um, diverse setups, how do you... or First of all, how do you recognize that your character might fall into a stereotype or um, an archetype or um, and some sort of very generic shorthand and uh, whether that is um, fortunate or maybe not so fortunate? <laughs> I think from personal experience, I can say that so much of it comes from just uh, research and expanding the media you're consuming. Um, mm-hmm. Because so much of that, like, that accuracy comes from listening to people with lived experience. And so if you're watching media made by people who are of whatever group you are making something about, suddenly you are just going to have a more nuanced view. If you're going to talk with people, work with people, who can speak that language, then I think it it just makes such a huge difference because it's very easy to just be like, oh, I know exactly what Turkish costume looks like. And you draw something out of your head and the moment you research it and it's like, yeah. oh, it's a million times more <laughs> complex and nuanced. And I had no idea what I was talking about. I'm currently diving into Chinese uh, traditional dress. It's insane. <laughs> Chinese traditional dress because I mean obviously you don't know just where like to start and where to end. like dozens of different um, time, time periods yeah, made definitely. up of like a million yeah. different cultures within China. It's amazing. It's, it's so yeah. diverse oh. and um, 
super interesting also uh, how um, I mean the Hanfu isn't actually quite Han and uh, super interesting and <laughs> um, one thing I, I want to add on to that um, is also um, definitely just get watch and um, take in as much media and research as you can but also make sure to diversify your sources and I, I will say though I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with using tropes and characterizations that we can rely on. It's just, we always have to be careful and make sure we're coming from the right place with that. No. Like, we can use some characterizations that are based in... I don't know how to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to not touch Interior. it. <laughs> I feel like tropes aren't innately bad, but if you do yeah. get into, yeah. if you start to edge into harmful stereotypes or just archetypes. Right. Just, there's a big difference between a trope and the stereotype yes. and how harmful they Absolutely. are. Yeah, all of all of storytelling is tropes, so can't get away from it. Also, yeah. I mean, uh, archetypes, for example, and I mean, I think uh, tropes and also stereotypes in a different way uh, count also into it. Uh, for example, if you uh, are designing a whole group of characters, um, I mean, you probably will have the big guy, the smart guy, the hard, uh, the hero, the um, Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with having a wise old man <laughs> hanging around. Yeah, also, um, you want them to somehow deviate um, within the group, so someone will have the role eventually in some way, but um, can also make it in more interesting and maybe not go for the big guy, but with the big girl, for example. And Because I think I, I don't see a lot of uh, very... Big uh, or muscly, and also space-consuming female characters, or not that much. Yeah, we need bigger women and smaller men. Please. I, I mean, a thousand percent agree. Oh yeah, no, that was completely um. serious. <laughs> but yeah, um, if you design a group or a set of characters, um, how do you make them also belong together without uh, undermining their individuality and um, yeah, their personal striking character design? I think that's honestly just something that you as a creator have to keep in mind throughout the process. And especially for me, if I'm writing large blocks of dialogue all in one sitting, it's really easy for all of my different dialects that these people are using to just blend into one hodgepodge after a while. And I have to consciously focus on making sure that each character's voice is coming through in a unique and recognizable way. And it's so easy to just step back and let it all blur together, but it's something that a creator has to work actively on. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, that you just make it a part of your process. Um, I don't think... I mean, I guess, yeah, my process for designing groups of people is I just start drawing them next to each other. And then suddenly I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. And I can't quite put my finger on it. So I'm going to keep working on it, I guess. Um, 
And it definitely makes you see uh, the same thing happens visually where suddenly I'll put a bunch of characters next to each other and I'm like, huh, oh no, I drew them all the exact same height. <laughs> I need I realize to start. they're all twins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the ways that um, film does this pretty often is by having similar elements between costumes. Um, I'm thinking like of uh, Bridgerton comes to mind where the different families basically Which have their so own smart. color palettes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's easy at a glance, right? Especially when uh, it's possible that some people might not be able to recognize between some of the characters, um, which is fine because there are many characters in that show. Um, one thing I also think about is if everyone uh, as part of a group has been through a certain type of experience in some way or is in a certain separate, say, piece of society than others. Like if you have a group of people who are, um, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Shadow and Bone having characters who are specifically like the low end of society and how does their look how is how are they made different? What signifies that they are different and what signifies that they are together as a group? Or uh, like a group film like Ocean's Eleven or something where you have a bunch of people who are all kind of dressed sort of nicely, but in their own kind of way. But that's very separate from the environments where they're hanging out with people who are dressed separately, act separately, are on different sides of a table or similar settings. I think that is very interesting designing as, I love that idea of like designing as a group in contrast to other groups in the same story is a really fun challenge. And just as you were talking about it, I was just like, oh yes, what a fun, neat exercise you can you can do is just exploring like how do i tie all of these people together do all of the high class people look more alike and lower class look more similar or vice versa and how you can play with that and still make people feel like a group when placed next to other people um it's just a very neat challenge to think about yeah like here's an example like it let's say you're doing a three musketeers thing um musketeers have a uniform they're all dressed the same right but if you have three musketeers maybe it's just these three that were standing on the right the wrong side of the road as a cart went by and now they're all splattered with mud and that's also pretty symbolic of what their their separation potentially from from uh what their uniform represents but it separates them from the group in a way that is a shared experience I mean, they did it also with Finn in um, the, with the the seventh uh, episode. I forgot the name, <laughs> um, where he got the uh, bloody hat print uh, at the very beginning of the movie. Um, oh yeah, that was so brilliant to differentiate him from the other oh, yeah, stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so easy and uh, simple, but. It worked perfectly, um, especially for that scenario. Um, yeah. And that kind of reflects a mental state, really, visually. Yeah. Which is really yeah, um, important absolutely. and difficult to do. I love thinking about um, that, that just branches into that idea of character design as an evolving thing, that it's never set in stone. 
Um, that it's very easy to be like, this is my character design. I did it. But it's like, as you write the story, yes, things happen to them. They change clothes. They get dirty. They get clean. All of that stuff is just equally important for communicating the state that a character is in. Precisely. I mean, I also love to um, kind of design the entire wardrobe. Um, it's not necessarily all with the same financials in mind because they also evolved in that. Uh, aspect yeah. um, but like uh, my main character wear that no he wouldn't um, <laughs> because uh, it would be too blocky for him he doesn't like that he likes softer fabrics for example and um, stuff like that or um, another one really doesn't like um, jewelry and um, also uh normally at least in that world uh, or the culture they have mostly long hair and a, a few characters who don't and then it's like why do they not have long hair and um, stuff like that I think that's super interesting and also can tell you more and if you um, have a pattern and then disrupt it you can also um, try to get the audience to ask what, why is it disrupted in this instance? And um, also, yeah, gather some sort of curiosity in that sense. Yeah, definitely. I think breaking the conventions is a super strong tool in, in anyone's toolbox. It's very good for world building. If you're doing something where you're establishing a pretty specific type of society and then you're breaking your own rules... That's something that stands out. Any last thoughts you have? You want to uh, give our listeners uh, on the way, perhaps? Go design your own characters. It's super fun, <laughs> regardless of what it's for. Yeah, I will agree. Like, if, if you have some free time, if you've ever thought about writing or drawing or anything, just go make your own characters and see what you can come up with. Like, defy expectations, create something unique, or create something that's completely similar to other stuff and try and put your own twist on it. Yeah, speaking as someone who loves both, like, really unique new media, and then I will love to watch something that just totally leans into tropes and is really pulpy, but does something, like, slightly different with it. Um, there are just so many interesting ways to have fun with that stuff. I'm going to be thinking a lot about the how much we spoke about the norm versus the deviation. Um, Cause that's an angle I didn't think I really saw before or put into words. So that's what I'm going to be looking for now. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. I think um, I don't really have to add anything to that. <laughs> um, so yeah. Thank you all for being here. Um, it was a real nice chat for me and um yeah if you want to plug yourself now's the chance <laughs> yeah thank you so much for doing this this was a blast um this is claire um you can find my work at clairehummel.com and i'm at shumla on most social media s-h-o-o-m-l-a-h because i chose a username in 1999 and i haven't been able to get away from it so <laughs> Sigh. <sighs>
Alright, and I am Devin, signing off. Uh, Claire, it was really great to talk to you today. And for anyone listening at home, if you want to check out my stuff or see what I'm working on right now, uh, my Linktree, or you can find me on Linktree at Linktree slash Devin Pickman. And I'm Lizzie. Thank you so much for hosting Inky. This is a lot of fun. Um, I, I DM on the podcast Sitting in Snow, and that's a 5th edition D&D podcast uh, set in its own special world with some really great characters. And not just characters that I've made. We have some fantastic PCs as well. And um, you can find me, I guess, mostly on Twitter at, uh, at L-I-Z-Y underscore B-R. Yeah, um, and I'm Inky. Um, I do talk mostly. I don't do that much art at the moment because I'm busy. Uh, but um, yeah, you can find me on most platforms as Inky um, dash or under dash thoughts. And yeah, thank you again all for having time and uh, having this wonderful chat and um yeah this was worth casting uh we're signing off thank you very much you've been listening to the world casting podcast an affiliate production of world building magazine if you have any comments questions or suggestions you can check out our website at worldbuildingmagazine.com where you can also find links to all of our social media and our discord server this episode was edited by matt varley